Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. David Pajo is an esteemed musician who lives in Los Angeles, California. A truly great and distinctive guitarist, Pajo originally hails from Louisville, Kentucky, where he played in Slint and with Bonnie Prince Billy, among others. He went on to join bands or collaborate with the likes of Royal Trucks, Tortoise, Stereolab, Yeah Yeah Yeahs, Interpol, and Zwan, among others. He has also created a remarkable body of work on his own, under monikers like Papa M., Ariel M., and Pajo. In 2016, Drag City Records released Highway Songs, the first Papa M record since 2004. And David and I recently talked about it and a wide variety of past and going concerns. Sponsored by The Bookshelf, Pizza Trocadero, and Planet Bean Coffee, this is my conversation with David Pajo on Creative Control. David, thank you so much for being on the on the show. Uh, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty well. Just uh, staying busy. Yeah, you're. Where are you right now? Um, I'm in Los Angeles, California. Uh, yeah, I've been living here for about almost almost two years, I think. Two years, and how's that going? It's good. You know, I uh, I, I definitely like it out here. I came from New Jersey. And I actually, I actually rode my motor, motorcycle from New Jersey to here, and then, and then I f- flew back, and then drove my truck to here. From the, so it was, uh, uh, it was a journey. It was like it was like quite a moving experience. But the the winters and on the East Coast are just. I mean, I mean, you must know being in Canada is just sort of relentless and. It seemed like eight months out of the year was just always gray, you know, like, uh, yeah. So coming out here was always a vacation for me. And now it's like, uh, now it's like I, um, not every day, but most days I wake up and it still feels like exotic or something like to see palm trees. I feel like I'm on an Island or something, you know? (laughs) Well, I'm calling you from, uh, Ontario, Southwestern Ontario, and, uh, it is, 
uh, uh, as I'm speaking to you, it's a frigid wasteland. It's uh, it's horrible. I wish I wish I was in California. That, that uh, must be. That must. Be, it sounds like it's nice. You're saying you see palm trees and it's like an island. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that for me. It is because I'm used to, you know, really severe winters and stuff. And um, yeah, yeah. I guess next, I have the the guy that actually runs Drag City. He comes out to L.A. Uh, for two months out of the year just just to escape the Chicago winters, you know, because it's so. <laughs> uh, and and I've been in Chicago. You know, I've lived in Chicago and like know the winters, and it it is just brutal there. You know, yeah. And you you're from Louisville, Kentucky. Where was the winter bad there? Was I, I, it sort of I think of it as the part of the American South, but is, is it was it as bad as uh, New Jersey or Chicago? No, not not as bad at all. I mean, you you know, every anywhere you live, you have sort of uh, pros and cons. Like out here, we have earthquakes, and in Louisville, we had tornadoes and and like yeah like serious thunderstorms that would uproot trees and stuff like um but uh louisville has always always had like a good balance of seasons like it, it was pretty cool to grow up there because each season was really distinct and lasted as long as it was supposed to you know like in new jersey it seemed like spring would just be over really fast yeah before you know it it's it's summertime it's super hot and yeah weird. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like the but but in like growing up in Louisville, the like springtime was it lasted a couple months, you know, and if, and and you really you know felt it and saw it. Yeah, just based on how dynamic your artistic work is, you seem like a guy who would appreciate a dynamic year, you know, like different all the seasons. Whereas I assume in California and Los Angeles, you it's mostly mostly kind of always feels like spring summer, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I do miss, you know, the seasons or like waking up and and seeing a blanket of snow on the ground like that. That kind of stuff just doesn't happen here. But in a way, I guess it's good for me because I can still focus on music, you know, and and not really be, um, I don't know, affected by seasonal affective disorder or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you if you've see yourself as an artist who's impacted by his surroundings, his environment. Uh, and I feel like you were starting to speak to that a, a little bit. Are you someone, if you're in, like, have you noticed a shift in, in your aesthetic or your, your impulses as an artist being in California for two oh, years? Oh, totally. Yeah. I, I think any, you know, everyone's sensitive to their environment, but like, uh, you know, I draw influence from like my immediate surroundings really. Um, and that includes like my, my friends that are in town and all that. And if I'm away from a lot of my childhood friends, like in Louisville, you know, I'm getting like different vibes from, from people and trying to, and, and yeah, just being turned on to stuff that like would be different than if I was still in Louisville, you know, yeah. and I don't think it's better or worse. It's just, it's just different. We, as we're speaking, your country is crumbling or 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 i don't know i, I feel yeah. like that's understating things your country is in a I, I think the worst time in my lifetime and you know almost 40 years of observing what's going on how is that impacting you as a person as an artist man that's a that's a good question it's uh right now i'm just sort of like trying to roll with the punches or you know like uh just sort of process everything 
so I don't know if it's like had a like a direct impact on me. But I what what I find really moving is just how people are are like protesting and banding together. You know, um, I'm kind of obsessed with that. Like, uh, and you know, I'm in a wheelchair now, so I can't or not not forever, but like I can't like take part in things. Yeah. So seeing other people take action is just like hugely inspiring to me. Like, um, and I want to promote that, you know, I want to, uh, I, I want people to know that I totally support them. And like, if I could, I would be out there doing it as well. You know? Yeah. Usually there are people who, when they observe protests of any kind, they try to minimize the efficacy of it by suggesting, you know, big deal. It doesn't matter. Uh, but you're of the opinion that these things matter a lot. Is, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, no, they they totally matter. I mean, every every person that shows up to a protest it like completely matters. It's pretty um, awe inspiring for me just to see people trying to trying to stand up against like um, you know a pretty huge evil force, yeah. you know, and and like the other half of America that also you know is has become you know there's like really uh, a sense of you know, they, they talk about how it's been divisive, but it's there's really been a sense that, um, you know, there's a clear enemy now. Yeah. Um, and that, unfortunately, means a lot of the Trump supporters, which sucks because they're Americans, too. You know, like they, you're, they, they shouldn't be the enemy, but we're kind of in this position where... Uh, there's a there's a really a clear cut line. Yeah, I mean the one thing I will one of the things I'll say, I mean I believe in I mean I, I feel the same way as you do about about the protest and the mobilization and and people trying to make their voices heard. But I also am in awe of it just because even as a Canadian, there's a sense of helplessness as as this president just continues to sign these executive orders and documents. Uh, putting things into place. Yeah. But, I mean, this this mobilization is probably the the surest uh, way to battle that helplessness and hopelessness. I would think. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It's like uh, it's it's empowering, uh, um, and I I feel like the women's march. I was really following that, and I I felt like the how empowering it was. And it was really moving to see, you know, just how many people turned up and there's a voice that can't, they can't, you know, they can't be ignored by the yeah. government, even though they're trying to, or the media. But one thing is I, uh, I watched on Netflix last night was, uh, the national lampoon documentary. Have you seen oh, yeah? that? No, I haven't seen it. Yeah. It's pretty good. You know, like I, I was a kid when that magazine was happening and I, uh, and, like they say in the thing, like people like read it just to see, you know, like kids like me at the time, like would look at it, just hoped that they would see boobs or whatever. But it, <laughs> it was like, right. you know, it's a satire and it's um, but it's really smart and really funny. Um, and the, the humor is really politically incorrect, too. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it, it, it made me realize that, like, uh, you know, shit was really bad when that magazine started and that. um uh, with Vietnam and Watergate and all this stuff yeah. happening. And, yeah. and so uh, it made me realize the importance of like satire and comedy, like, um, you know, like the Lenny Bruce's to, you know, get, you know, like 
comedy is a great way to send a message to people, you know, if you can get people to laugh. Yeah, and I and I do think that some of the people that are currently in power certainly have thin skins. I mean, they've made that evident. They're they're narcissistic. Yeah. They're insecure. So I think they can't handle the mock the mockery. So I think you're right. It's having a it's having its impact. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That is, um, Trump is pretty funny that way. Just how easily you can he you can you, his weak spots are really like <laughs> really obvious. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's true. Well, I mean, I, I imagine we'll touch upon some of these things as we as we talk here. But I, I do want to ask you about some highway songs. Uh, que- I have I have song uh, questions about your latest record, and I, but I feel like we might touch upon some of the things we've already uh, addressed. I mean, for one thing that I I I, rem- I remember distinctly the announcement for highway songs because your label Drag City in the announcement seemed to express a kind of joy and surprise that the first Papa M record in like 12 years or something was coming out. Yeah. Why did you take a break? Yeah, that's right. You remember this? Like they were kind of like, we can't believe this either. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I found endearing and, and it made it feel more exciting. I know why, I know why they were doing it. They were trying to manipulate all of us to be excited, but at the same time we were excited. So it was, they were excited and we were excited and uh, it, was, yeah. it was nice. But can you talk a little bit about why, why you took, a break from releasing music under that particular moniker? Yeah, I think it was, uh, gosh, when was that? I guess it was like the mid-2000s. I I started doing records just under my last name, under Paho. Yeah. And it wasn't, um, and I think because they were more sort of, um, I was exploring like a different part of my voice or songs or something, you know, like I, I didn't think it was, like Papa M material. Like the only reason I would change names all the time was because um, it was a good, you know, if, if I had a, like a concept for like a, a fake band or something that it would, it would have its own name and I could, you know, I could, it, I could delineate time periods with it. Like, you know, Ariel M sounded like this and my aesthetic was to, you know, plug straight into an amp and just no, nothing fancy, just whatever you can do mm-hmm. with two guitars, bass and drums. Um, and then with Pop M is a little more open. Um, and I could, you know, I, I learned a lot from playing in tortoise and stuff. And, uh, so I was just, I was just more open-minded and trying different things and then, uh, and using a certain type of tuning. And then I guess I, when I started playing under or putting records out under Paho. I also started um, just, uh, I, you know, I also had kids around that time as well. So mm-hmm. that, that kind of <laughs> put my, I was always recording, but it kind of put my solo stuff on the shelf for a little bit. Um, and then this song, this album, just like Highway Songs just felt to me like it, it was a Papa M record. It was just like another step in the, evolution or whatever um it's fascinating to me that you had children and then retired one of your monikers with papa in it i know i know i think i needed (laughs) time to figure out what it was to be a papa you know um (laughs) and now 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 i know but um do do your do your kids call you papa no they don't no it's my friends do yeah (laughs) my my kids i have have a five-year-old and a a two-year-old and they they call me papa 
So oh, I'm, nice. I'm Papa to them all the time. So some when I even when I told my son uh, I was listening to Papa, he's like, Papa, what? He was very confused. He, he didn't really. <laughs> yeah, but you're Papa. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway yeah, that so you you just were reflecting basically on what your conception of Papa M was in relation to the other work you were doing. Yeah. And, and I, when I started putting these, the songs together, I didn't have a name or, or anything. Um, and then as it started to form, it, it just, it felt like a Papa M record and that's what I just started calling it. And, um, it's funny, the guy that wrote that, that, uh, I guess one sheet or whatever for, uh, when I came back, like I know him and he's really, I'm sure he was genuinely surprised. Like he was probably like, you know, Papa M, are you serious? Like, <laughs> like I have not thought about them in forever. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it's a, but that's a, it's yeah. a nice surprise. It just was, uh, I, I, like yeah. I said, I appreciate, I appreciated the sentiment behind it and, and, and the feeling was, it was quite tangible. Um, you're talking about the, the record. Highway Songs is, I think a little bit uh, metal, a little bit folk, a little bit electronic, a little bit pop, a little bit rock. It's got a little bit of everything. Yeah. Did that give you any pause in contemplating this collection of songs sitting together as a as one seemingly cohesive record? Yeah, I totally did. Like um, my only agenda was when I was making the record was, um, you know, that there would be, you know, like. It wouldn't be a sound for the record. Like it would, you know, like I would, I I wouldn't want to repeat myself or like if I did one song this way, I should do the next song the exact opposite um, and see what happens. Um, And I didn't really think of them as any of them fitting together. Um, Yeah. And the metal stuff was, was weird. I was really nervous about putting that stuff on there. I, um, my original sequence for the album, I put all the metal songs on side two and just joined them all as one long song. Um, and, uh, and my thinking was, well, if, you know, people who like my older stuff can just be like, Oh yeah, I just like side one, you know? Um, but but I was sort of ashamed of it, I guess. And, and I had, I asked Brian McMahon, um, the slint, uh, singer and guitar player, if he could help me with the sequence, because he, he, you know, it'd be an objective ear and he's really good at sequencing. Like, um, like, and I just know that from all the, like the awesome mixtapes he would make for me when we were kids. And, um, and, 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 you know, he sequenced Spiderland, which was really good the way he did it. Cause there was like a, a song, like songs that he didn't think fit on the record. And, and I, at the time I thought he was wrong, you know, and my, and I didn't like his sequence. And like now, now that I, I've like, you know, lived with that album. It's, uh, I, now I understand his thinking now and it, and he was right. So, yeah. so anyway, yeah, uh, I, I, I got Brian in and, uh, and he helped me put the record together. So it had, so when you first listened to it, it did have surprises, but, um, hopefully it would kind of want you to hear it again. You know, like I, I want, I want a record to just stand repeated listenings. You know, yeah. not no. like a novelty that wears off. But. Sure, yeah, that that makes sense. I, I want to step back to something you said about Brian there uh, and your childhoods that you, or, you know, as you grew up together. You mentioned he made you uh, really cool mixtapes. Can you talk about what were on some of those mixtapes? Oh, yeah. I mean, usually they were um, compilations of one artist. In fact, I think that's 
all of them were that I got from Brian. Um, because it would be, I would, you know, I'd, I would listen to some Neil Young and I'd be like, ah, but he's got, you know, he's got like these eighties electronic records and stuff. I was like, I don't know what's the good, what the good songs are, the good records to buy. So he'd make me a mixtape that would help like just Neil Young. That would help me like, uh, oh, I see. like kind of figure out which albums I liked the best. And then, um, and then, uh, he did the same for Leonard Cohen and, who is the other artist? Um, uh, I can't believe I just forgot right now. But um, for some reason, know, he, I want to. I want to think it was Hank Williams. I don't know why. I, I, <laughs> it probably doesn't um, make any sense. <laughs> no, no. But I mean, Hank Williams was a huge. You know, we were all super into him. But um, I think like Leonard Cohen. You know, I liked some of his stuff, and I but I didn't know what to what to get, and you know. But, and I ended up listening to Brian's mixtapes more than, than a lot of the records, you know, just because huh. it was so good the way it was, like, laid out. And I know he's, like, a, a perfectionist in a lot of ways. And, and you know, when you're making a mixtape, you have to set the record levels right so one song isn't louder than the other song. Right, right. It's like mastering, basically. And then, um, and if, you, if the order of the songs is messed up, you have to go back and um, erase everything, you know, and like, and start over. So it was, uh, I know that he like worked really hard on it because they were, they were so listenable and so nice. You know, <laughs> I still have those tapes. You give me a flashback to dubbing my own mixtapes, uh, on my parents' various, uh, they got, well, they went at one point, they got a really high end stereo and the, the mix, the tapes were great. They just sounded so good. And yeah. uh, <laughs> I remember that distinctly. And they, they, and I, and if I liked someone, I would make them a mixtape. That was my thing. I, uh, yeah, it's a special special thing you do for someone. I think. Oh, totally. Yeah, that's how I learned about a lot of music, or, um, or, yeah, you, know, you could woo someone's heart with it. Or, you know, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. Mixtape. There, there are, um, and you know, and if somebody made you a mixtape and you didn't like it, you'd be like, "Oh man, we don't have anything in common." You know? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, you yeah. know, it it seems to me that you know we were talking about highway songs, but it seems to me that many of your records have this open ended quality where you know multiple styles and tones live together in places most of us wouldn't expect them to uh, to cohabit. I guess uh, are, are you someone who? listens to a broad array of music as well? Um, yeah, I think, I think I do, but I, I don't really, I, I guess cause my mood changes, you know, like everybody's mood fluctuates throughout the day. Like I, I'll be in the mood for like something really, really quiet or, um, you know, or then, then, you know, when I'm cleaning the house, maybe I want to listen to Van Halen or something, you know, it's like, yeah, uh, yeah. it's, um, it's it, like everybody, like, uh, I, you know, my, my mood, my mood changes, but like the, the genre jumping is like, I don't even think about that. So it's all about like, well, how some music makes me feel a lot of times I just want to hear craft work, you know, and yeah. like, because I, I just want some kind of like mechanical sounding analog goodness. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. Were you ever someone who was in kind of a, a camp, like a, were you just a Misfits person or a Sam Hain person, and that was it for a while until something? Did you have any epiphany that broke you out of something like that, or, or have you always? Been, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was definitely like that. Like I always just 
obsessed on one thing and I was hundred percent that. And then I, I would get bored with it and move on to something else, you know, in another band, but they're all kind of related. But, um, I think, uh, man, I, I think it was when I like, actually it was like when I was about 17 or something, I started, uh, just being interested in other types of music that wasn't, you know, even related to punk rock or rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and was able to appreciate it. And I think a lot of that actually was just hanging out with, you know, with Brian and Britt, the drummer from Slint and Will Oldham. Um, like, cause they, they had such, every, they had such diverse tastes and some of the stuff would really stand out to me. Like, some Gamelon music or something. Um, yeah. Or, uh, or yeah, like Hank Senior or, or um, uh, Will said used to listen to this record of whale songs. It was just whales under the, <laughs> in the ocean, just like oh. the, the sounds they make. And uh, he said he would listen to it when he was studying. And, um, you know, I would, and like we'd go on road trips and we'd put on, you know, stuff like that, you know, like weird, <laughs> just weird things. <laughs> That's so I, I guess we all sort of like got into like other styles around the same time. And I mean, I think people can hear that in your work. I mean, that's something that informs the way you seem to approach records and, and music generally, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I try not to be like prejudiced against mainstream music too you know like um just because it doesn't have to be obscure or weird for me to like it you know yeah. it helps but um you know i i don't listen to kanye but i you know i have friends who do and i'm sure he's great like um in a lot of ways i live in a bubble still but um it's uh it's probably the same as when you were younger like the only way i heard hear about new music or or even new old music is uh just from friends, like somebody has to be like, oh, you need to check this out, or I think you'd like this. Yeah. Um, it's not from like Amazon uh, past buying experiences or something, <laughs> you know, like it's not an algorithm. <laughs> it's, it's just somebody. There are, but there are more curatorial algorithms these days. And I, I, I have a, I haven't really fleshed this out, but I, I am starting to think that I think I have a theory. I think I have a theory, David. <laughs> that musicians, <laughs> serious uh, music fans, uh, maybe were onto something by by crate digging or by by keeping their ears open to different kinds of experiences. Because I feel like since we've all started living these online lives, we've become more. There's more generalists than there used to be who seem to consume and appreciate a wide array of culture and information. And it all feeds them in a way that, you know, we, we, we all are expected to know about everything. Like you say, I don't listen to Kanye. Lots of people are talking about Kanye, but I don't listen to him. But there's kind of this expectation that you should at least check him out. You know, it's there. It's all there in front of you. (laughs) Like there's no reason to not (laughs) know about a show, a TV show or a series. Everyone seems to be talking. You know what I mean? It's, it's a weird thing. Do you, do you think music fans or did you, like you mentioned Brian and and the guys in Slint seem to be on to stuff and they would turn you on to things. Do you think that's an extension of being a music fan? Like what's going on now? Like because music 
Yeah. Itself is is in a weird state in terms of how it's valued, but culturally we're all expected to consume, you know, a wide array of stuff. Sorry I'm babbling. This is not a great theory yet. No, no, I, no. I, I I think you're right. <laughs> it's uh, um no, I totally understand what you're saying. It's uh yeah, it's, I I would say that it w- it is like it probably has something to do with that that having that upbringing of like you know, flipping through records and just buying, taking a risk on something that just had a cool cover or like a weird looking cover, like, um, mm-hmm. and you had no idea what was in there. Like, and, um, and it's, it's so much different now. Like now you can listen to it first and choose whether you want to download it or not or whatever. But, um, yeah. Uh, but I, I guess I didn't, uh, there, there's like less, like sort of risk or like the the joy of discovering something or even just, um, you know, you get a record based on the cover and it's terrible. You just, I guess now maybe I save a little more money on spending, on buying records, but, <laughs> sure. but I feel like I am limited in like what I'm exposed to unless I have friends whose tastes I trust, like tell me to check something out, you know? So you, you feel like your, your consumption habits haven't really changed. You're still someone who, might wait for someone to recommend something to you rather than seeking it out. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, I really do live in a bubble. There's so much uh, stuff that everybody should know what they sound like, and I have no idea. You know? <laughs> even, even when I was in a band with uh, Billy Corgan, he was shocked and pretty actually kind of offended that I didn't know a single Smashing Pumpkin song, like except for... Um, I knew the rat in the cage lyric and that was it, but I couldn't, I couldn't right. tell you. And he was like, he was like, I, I still don't know the, the songs he's talking about tonight, tonight and <laughs> 1979. Like I, I, I just know those names from him telling me, but uh, I was like, yeah. And he's like, had, had you ever seen us? And I was like, yeah, I saw you five times at Lollapalooza when you guys played. Um, and I was watching like from the balcony or something. And, uh, and I just didn't pay attention to the music. I was kind of like, why, why is everybody so into this? You know, <laughs> that, that was my feeling. Like, and that, not that they were a bad band or anything. It was just, um, I, I was, if I wanted to listen to music like that, I was into like Jesus Lizard and stuff, you know, to me, it wasn't as appealing. Um, right. Uh, but had, but maybe if one of your friends had said, Hey, you should check out the Smashing Pumpkins. Maybe you would have given them more of a shot. I probably would have. Yeah, yeah. If someone yeah. told me like check out their first album or something, it, it's awesome, and I, <laughs> I, I probably would have checked it out. You know, but you um, know, you 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 mentioned that you live your life in a something of a bubble, but I, I mean, I you know, you're on social media and you, you you tend to post a lot of photos and things like that, and 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 other kinds of posts. Is are you? Comfortable? You're obviously comfortable engaging with the, the the online reality of living a life these days. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I like um, I like the digital age a lot, <laughs> and it's just uh, um, and social media is just it's kind of a joke to me. Like it's not. Um, I don't put much weight on it, um, uh, and and to me it's it is completely false. Like you know, and I see myself doing it. People just create personas, you know? Um, and, uh, and I, I guess the only, you know, I probably wouldn't do it if I wasn't, um, in a, you know, musician that 
kind of survives by self-promotion, which I'm terrible at. Like I, but I know that like, if somebody's like a fan of a band, like I'm a fan of so much, so many bands, like, and I follow their Instagram and I, um, you know, I like, I love having glimpses into their lives, you know? And so I, I, I have to, you know, I have to hope that there's some people that feel that way about like me or my music. Like I, I'm always like, should I, post a picture of my kids again like but then I'm like whatever I like this photo and um and it does and it seems like it's it's just nice to like have a glimpse into somebody's um you know your favorite musician's life you know what they're into because you'll learn little clues about stuff well it's it's interesting to me too just given that I think for some people your in your trajectory there have been certain moments or rather eras where you've come across as kind of enigmatic and and there's an opaqueness there of like maybe we won't ever get to know this person he keeps changing his name his bands always change he's you know and yeah yeah and yet here you are for those who follow you on social media it is very it's not raw it's not untoward but it is yeah it's very much an opening up and a humanizing almost of this this entity of, of david paho you know Oh, that's great. Yeah. And then everyone will realize I'm not like a genius and I'm just, (laughs) and I'm not mysterious. (laughs) I'm actually just a real, your typical dumbass. Um, And then they'll all unfollow me. (laughs) No, but it's true. I know what you mean. Um, It it is, it does humanize it. And I'm really happy to hear that, that, that you feel that way. Yeah. I wondered if it's a purposeful liberation on some level of like, Hey, I'm a person, I'm a human being, you know? Yeah. You, you know, um, I think a lot of that is pretty recent too. Like I, uh, I had a suicide attempt and I put my, my note online. Like I just didn't want there to be any mystery as to why it happened. You know, I just wanted it to, I knew that certain people in my life were going to try to rewrite the facts or whatever. So I just wanted to put it down what, what was really going through my head or whatever. Um, and then, and then when I think when I did that, just like it, everybody knew, like my deepest, darkest feelings, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it was just up there. And uh, I think after that, it, that was liberating in the sense that I was like, fuck it, you know, I'm not, if I reveal myself, it's not going to be like this horrible monster comes out. It's just like, I'm not that bad of a guy, you know, like. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of uh, it kind of is nice. Somebody shooting off fireworks. Can you hear that? Oh well, I, I I couldn't hear it, but oh no, now I do. Is that these days in your country? I can't tell if that kind of expression is celebratory or maybe there's a protest. Yeah, I guess you you don't know what's going. I know there's lots of as we're speaking. There's just a lot going on uh, in terms of. Uh, uh, demonstrations and and protests, so maybe something's going on. Yeah, I'm wondering if that it does have something to do with that. Um, I don't because it's it, unusual for there to be fireworks at this point in the day for you in your city. It is, um, but they, you know, it's mostly like there's there's only fireworks for like J- July Fourth or New Year's Day or like Puerto Rican Independence Day or something. But uh, today, I wonder. It could just be some kids. <laughs> like, um, just how, how are you feeling security? Like, as a as a as, as an American citizen 
who is you know a, you're a visible minority i think it's fair to say are yeah. are you feeling are you feeling uh unsteady living in your country do you feel at risk or, or like there's some security issue that you need to be mindful of um i don't feel like i do but uh i um i do worry about people i know um uh yeah i don't think i'm really at risk it, i guess the fear is more like uh you know people that don't don't know that you know i was born and raised in america you know or whatever like uh um my mother's american and um like that uh that are just gonna see me like you know some hillbilly is gonna just see me and think i'm a, <laughs> you know i should go back to mexico or something right yeah. But I mean, that's what racism is, really. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, that's what's going on. I mean, that's 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 something that could potentially happen. And it's sorry. Now I sound like I'm trying to scare you. No, but, no. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the thing about um, racism is that, like, if you're a minority, you just grew up with that. So, like, now yeah. isn't doesn't seem like I'm not scared of like confronting racism because I, you know, I've just had to deal with that my whole life. You know, growing up half Asian in Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, in the late seventies and eighties, like it's, um, it's you, you've kind of had heard it all, you know. Um, That's true. I mean, I I can relate to that myself, but I also think that we're seeing it more overt and more openly expressed uh, after a great. It felt like this is not to suggest there wasn't racism. There all always was, and it, it didn't go anywhere. But I do think that people just out of mindfulness and sensitivity were uh being more being more careful about how they express themselves in front of people that might have different cultural backgrounds and now it seems like oh yeah um, the filter's gone the decorum yeah just the lack of decorum now is uh that to me is going to breed uh more hatred and more incidents uh that yeah anyway yeah. no say, that's a good I, point I, because yeah, um, yeah it's, it does seem like uh, um, it, like every all these macho dudes want to be Trump now, you know, like they want to they want to be they can if he can say it, I can say it, you know, like yeah. that's yeah. It, he has like uh, opened the floodgates. Um, yeah, yeah, it's well. I hope everything's okay down there, and 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 that the the fireworks are not a sign of. Uh, you know, distress or something. I hope, yeah. I hope, I hope it works out. I was talking to my brother about like, um, just the, how divided the country is now, like how clear cut it is. And, um, he was, uh, and I was like, man, it, like it's, it's like a lot of these people are probably thinking like, this is going to turn into a civil war. Um, and, uh, you know, like the, the Trump supporters versus the, the protesters or whatever and the liberals. And, um, he was like, yeah, that sucks. Cause you know, they, they would totally win. Like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, you're right. They've all, they've all, they're all like gun buying dudes that like cannot wait. They've had like itchy trigger fingers for a long time. And now they have a right yeah. an excuse like <laughs> to wage war. Um, so yeah. Where does your brother live? He lives in Louisville. Yeah. He's still there. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah, I don't. I, it's it's just it's pure sadness. It, it's pure horror, and I yeah. 
and I've tried to engage with uh, comedians and stuff. Uh, I'm engaged and follow uh, comedians' takes on things, but I don't know. We need it's yeah. Anyway, it's yeah. It's it's really brutal. Um, we were talking about lots of different things there. I wanted to ask you about. Oh yeah, here's what I wanted to talk about because you mentioned uh, the band with Billy Corgan, Zwan. Yeah. You're you're a you're a prolific musician, as we've established. You're, you've also been a number a member of a many many bands. And just for people who don't know, I will. We mentioned Slint. I think you mentioned Tortoise. You mentioned Zwan. Yeah. There was Interpol. There was the IAS. There's many more. But externally, it does seem that you have a penchant. For leaving bands, <laughs> is there yeah. is there a c- common thread to that? Do you get restless playing in, in bands, particularly in some of these cases? They're kind of in some cases they are other people's bands, I guess. Yeah. Um, can you can you talk about that? Yeah, I think that that restlessness is just part part of my nature. Like, um, you know, when I was growing up in Louisville, when I first learned how to play an instrument, I immediately started playing in bands, and um, uh. I don't, I don't think I was ever in one band at, at one, at one time. Like I always had three or four bands going at the same time and like just practicing with different bands, you know, is like, they used to call me the band whore because I, you know, if somebody <laughs> lost a bass player, I would play bass with them or, you know, it, or like even vocals, like their singer couldn't make it to a show. I would do the vocals holding a lyric right. sheet, you know, like I, I did everything. Um, uh, and it was just, you know, the joy of playing, I guess. Um, and, and, and I think that probably has, I, I don't think about it consciously, but it's probably, yeah, just in my nature. Like after I, I feel like I understand a band, um, and they don't surprise me anymore or something. Like, I feel like I have to, um, I have to try something else or I, or I, or once I just feel full of an experience, like, it's like, oh, I, I, the tortoise thing was super cool, but um, let, what would it be like to play in Royal Trucks, you know? Because when I left tortoise, yeah. I started playing in Royal Trucks immediately. It was just like totally different kind of music. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and like, uh, it, it, and it was really, it was really cool, you know? Like it was, that's, I guess it's that sort of, yeah, I, I just listen to whatever I'm in, you know, like to whatever my heart's telling me. Well, you, you mentioned there the joy of playing. Like you would just hop up and play with every, anyone, and you'd play with as many bands as possible. Like the, the, You obviously ha- enjoyed doing that. But what about camaraderie? Is there joy in camaraderie for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's it. Like, uh... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
um, I, I, I've always like been, you know, like drawing and been like an artist or whatever. Um, and, uh, and when I got into music, it like made me social. Like, um, I think after Slint broke up, I went to England for a year and I didn't bring a guitar or anything. And I wanted to see, and I just wanted to pursue art, you know, and just, and painting and stuff and, and see if that's what I wanted to do instead of music. And, um, I did it for a year and I got really stir crazy without a guitar and I ended up borrowing one. And I, um, and I just, I just felt like, uh, I was really isolated, you know, cause like painting and making art is like kind of a lonely process, you know, yeah, like you're, yeah. you're just on your own doing it, but like being in a band is so much, yeah, it's, it's all about the camaraderie and the, um, you know, the dramas and all that stuff. Like I, it's just way more vibrant for me. And so I came back and immediately started playing with Palace Brothers and stuff, you know. Did you say it's, uh, did you just invoke the phrase, the dramas? The dramas, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you kind of like the kind of interpersonal strife that uh, being in a band uh, brings about? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the um, that's all part of the experience to me, like um, how different people um, vibe off each other and when they butt heads sometimes and like how they compromise, like, oh, and how, and, you know, I'm involved in it too. It's all, um, that's the nature of collaboration, you know, and that's, that is what I miss from, from my solo music, you know, because I don't have that collaboration. Um, you, you don't have the collaborative tension. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or drama. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, 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 enjoy, I enjoy that you miss the drama because some people are like, oh, I can't deal with the drama. But you're like, eh, there should be some drama. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, I don't, I don't mind the drama. Like that's, uh, that's just life, you know, life is dramatic sometimes. And, um, like, and I used to just hate trauma and relationships or anything. And then, um, you know, I watch nature shows and grasshoppers are having dramas with each other, you know, like some they're eating families and like they're in the fish are having dramas. And, you know, it's like, it's like, wait, the drama is just part of like the, 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 the human experience, you know, like you can't, hate that Just, it builds um, character yeah exactly <laughs> yeah speaking of drama uh you mentioned billy corgan <laughs> i have never spoken with billy corgan but i've noticed that he's in the news a fair bit lately uh he's been sounding off about u.s politics and i think uh, it's fair to say he's been leaning a bit more right than some of his fans uh expected him to in, in talking about politics do you do you ever speak with billy at all these days no, no. After Zwan broke up, um, yeah, he he just decided he hated me and like. Uh, oh no. Uh, yeah, um, but uh, but you know when the whole when the election the campaign was happening, I was like, wow, Trump is so much like Corgan. Like, um, I'm sure Billy loves this guy. Um, really interesting. Yeah, I, that was my thought, and I was like, I was like, I know he's a Trump supporter. He has to be. Like, he's he's got millions of dollars. He's um, he's got that kind of ego. He's got the uh, he loves the bully mentality, you know. Um, so I was like, uh, so I I don't I don't I don't keep up with them, and I don't want to talk bad about him. But um, I do. I I wouldn't be surprised at all if he wasn't a Trump supporter. In fact. I'd be more surprised if he wasn't. 
Huh, that's fascinating. I mean, it's very, you know, you I don't know if you followed it at all, but they had a lot of trouble booking artists uh, to perform at the inauguration. And there was this sort of sentiment that, you know, artists are tend to be liberal uh, on some level. I mean, they obviously got some people and some, there are some right-wing musicians, of course, but it did right. seem odd to have Billy Corgan popping up I mean, like you say, <laughs> he has certain attributes that I think some people could identify uh, with Trump as well. Uh, the bully, yeah. the, the kind of sensationalism. Uh, but still, I mean, you know, he comes, I guess, maybe part of it is there's still an illusion he kind of represents underground culture on some level. I guess he doesn't, though, does he? Uh, he he hasn't for a long time, I don't think. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, In fact, he kind of scorns it, I, I guess, really. He he felt rejected. You know what? Kind of like Trump. He yeah. was rejected by the thing he wanted to be a part of, and totally. now he makes fun of it. Huh. Yeah. That's exact. I mean, it, the similarities are, are crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, when... Uh, when Smashing Pumpkins, like they're like, I don't, I don't know their records, but like maybe the last one or two records didn't sell that well or something. They, um, you know, Billy went on this rant about how, um, you know, he, he was disappointed in his fans for not understanding the record and like for not buying it and all this. And, uh, and I was, and it, that's a, that's such a weird thing to me is to like, uh, <laughs> scold your fans for not buying your record. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but that is the way he thinks, you know, like he doesn't under and and when bands like the White Stripes and the Yeah Yeah Yeahs and all these bands were and Interpol were starting up the New York uh scene, um you know, he would he would say stuff to me that was like um like to him they were just all little bands, you know, they were just not he was like, you know, the you know, the biggest the white stripes sold this much on their biggest record and you know i you know like the whatever the huh. my records have totally slaughtered them they don't sell millions like we did like <laughs> wow okay so yeah that's so see i it took you to connect those dots for me i kind of had that since that 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 feeling but huh well okay this is gonna yeah cha- um, this, this really changes things on some level yeah and and, and i talked to other people that you know spent time with billy and um, and they're the same way. They just, they're like, oh yeah, Trump and Billy are like two peas in a pod, <laughs> which is really, <laughs> which is real, probably really weird for a lot of people. Cause he can, he can very convincingly front that he's, you know, the sensitive, uh, you know, liberal person. But, um, maybe now the, maybe now that Trump's made it okay to not act like that, like, uh, for people like him, you know, he, it's, it's, he's going to start shedding that. Was he? Yeah. Was he considering playing the inauguration? I didn't see that. I just have heard him talking to. I I'm fuzzy on this. He, I don't know if he went on Infowars with Alex Jones, but he was kind of courting that whole side of the equation. You know, right? These like right wing conspiracy theorists. And kind of talking shit about Bernie Sanders. Well, not kind of. He was. Oh Again, I try not to. I kind of when you know Corgan's stuff comes up in my various feeds, you know, my social uh. media feeds, and I'll kind of glance at a headline. I try. I'm not interested in him, so I don't read everything. But but it had. Uh, I did notice that he was showing up 
talk. I, I read a couple of things, and this was kind of where he was leaning. You know, yeah, just making fun of. He tends to make fun of um, purity or something like just people who. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to totally <laughs> disparage him, but just the notion of of people behaving in a reasonable, rational way and having pure motivations, he finds those things laughable and suspicious. I think. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah. No, he was too, never a dull moment. Much? That's for sure. <laughs> it was, um, uh, he used to make me laugh when we were first hanging out. Cause he'd say this stuff that was super outrageous. And I would think it was funny, like in a sort of dark way, but you know, it took me a while to realize he's, he's not saying this stuff to be funny. He actually feels and believes that. Yeah. 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 That must be, that must be weird. Well, another band dynamic that I wanted to ask you about was Slint. You sporadically played with Slint since the band, you know, you reactivated the band over the last 10 years or so after uh, you guys stopped playing together in the early uh, to mid nineties. And, and I mean, this was a lot of this has to do with the resonance that Spiderland has had on music fans. People, View, I mean, I don't want to uh, embarrass you or me, but that that's a record, Spiderland, that, that changed me. You know what I mean? As a musician, as a person who listened to music, that, that just immediately when I heard songs from Spiderland, I knew it was something special and different. Um, do you have a perspective on that? I mean, you must hear this from people all the time, right? The, the Spiderland, it's amazing. And it was It wasn't really until the um, 2005 reunion where I... You know, like I like hung out with everybody again and, and relearned the songs and kind of realized how well constructed they were and and could appreciate it for what it is. You know, um, I was it's like it took me that long to just be like to be able to, to let go of it and, and see and hear it the way other people were seeing and hearing it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that the the record has some baggage for you. And, you know, obviously years will give you perspective on uh, that experience. Um, you mentioned that Brian had a role on the new Papa M record. Do you ever contemplate the notion of doing something with those guys again, Esland? Oh, yeah. I mean, all, all the time, I you know, every time I write a riff or something, I'm thinking, oh, man, I wish I could, you know, you know, Brian was here, Britt was here to like, to bounce this idea off of, they could probably have something cool to add to it. Or, um, cause I think we like the, the three of us and, and, and with Todd Brashear as well, like we, we have a, a good musical dynamic, you know? Um, I think we enhance each other's good sides or something. Um, yeah. But the, uh, I think, well, like just because like people live in different parts of the country now and um, everybody has their own lives and kids and stuff like it's it would be if we were if we were to write something together I'd, it wouldn't be like loose like the way it was you know when we were younger it'd have to be all you know like organized and we'd have to rent a practice space and like there would be all this uh, kind of stuff involved like um, and I sure. and I think everybody would be into working on stuff together, but maybe it's the personalities involved maybe are too difficult. Um, hmm. I, I can't, I can't tell. I mean, I would, I would love to, like when we were practicing for the 2014 tour, we, 
we took one of the Twee songs and kind of like um, slowed it down a lot and played it like this other way. And it, it sounded so cool. And we, we actually thought about like writing a new song out of that and then uh, and making that our intro. Um, and, uh, and it just never happened. But like this, just see to see us just like do it so easily, like uh, come up with this cool idea um, was, was really, really made me miss having them as writing partners, you know? Yeah. Well, it sounds like uh, it has uh, the dynamic has at least one of the things you like, which is drama. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's plenty of drama with Slint. (laughs) (laughs) There was uh, along with the Spiderland box set, there was a uh, documentary uh, that was made, um, uh, which was called Breadcrumb Trail, as I recall. I'm riffing right now. Right. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. What did you make of the film? Um, well, we were we were all pretty involved in it, um, and I think at a certain point we had to let go of it and just let Lance do his thing, like l- let yeah. it be Lance's testament. Because the the, the whole film started where with the box set we were going to release a DVD, but it would have like live footage. So Lance came out to film the live shows, um, and some interviews. And, and the first cut he gave us was like, for, as if was, was like for a, a, a live DVD where it'd have like a song and then it would have a little bit of interview footage and then like another song. And I guess we could never agree on which songs to use or something. And then we decided yeah. to cut out all the, live stuff you know and and just like uh it kind of evolved into the story behind slant um it we didn't you know because we didn't actually plan it like that it just kind of went from a live dvd to like a documentary um Hmm. yeah that's interesting yeah it was amazing I, i love that film it's great yeah i really like the film uh it's i think it's i like that it shows our kind of humorous, um, naughty sides, you know, like, and, and that we're, we weren't like these dark people necessarily with it. We just, uh, um, you know, we're, we're having fun, but then, um, but it's also like, I feel like anybody that was, has been in a band or whatever could relate to it on some level. Um, and you know, it could have been any band's history in a lot of ways, you know, you know, so many great bands just get together for a brief period of time and disappear. Um, well, I mean, again, as I alluded to earlier, there has been kind of a, a mythology around Slint, um, you know, an enigmatic quality to what this band was. So to have that, that mystery illuminated in that film, I mean, I remember watching it. Actually, this is kind of a weird thing that I will quickly tell you, but I was watching the DVD after I got the box set mm-hmm. and uh, I was just watching it and I was like, I wonder when they're going to talk about Will Oldham because, you know, Will took the photo and the Spiderland and all that stuff and he's friends with the band. And I had texted Will something four or five months earlier from that night and just as they started to talk about Will, as I was watching the film, Will texted me back like four months later. It was like something random. I can't remember what I texted him. So weird. And so I found that very odd. And I texted him right away to be like, this is really weird. And of course, he didn't respond. He didn't respond to that text where I'm like, dude, (laughs) he 
wait another four <laughs> months when you watch the DVD yeah. again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, he wanted to. Oh, he wanted to mail me a record. Is what it was. It was a very kind text, but I just was baffled that he. Uh, at the exact moment that, anyway, as I said, yeah, that was my weird. I've not watched it since. I, to be honest, I found it a little spooky. So the yeah. <laughs> mysterious, enigmatic qualities of Slint, kind of, I don't know. They made an impression on me in the moment I was watching this documentary, where everything was becoming illuminated. You know what I mean? Oh, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> I think um, Will Will didn't want to be included in the documentary. Like he, um, or. I can't remember what it was. Like he told Lance he didn't want to be involved, um, but he did contribute, you know, like a lot of the photos or his photos. Um, and it, and, He's in um, a bonus feature. He's in a bonus feature jumping in the, is it a lake that the... That's right. That's the quarry. In? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He's in the, he's in that briefly of just everyone jumping into the quarry, whatever, 20 years yeah. later, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, but yeah right. he's not, that's true. He's not in it, but they, I just remember they don't really, his name came up at maybe three quarters of the way through the film or something. Anyway, this is not that interesting probably to most people, but I found it freaky. Yeah, no, that's super weird. Like, uh, I wonder if, um, you telling him like, I'm actually watching the Slint documentary. Like he's probably, <laughs> if he was just like, oh man, I hate that thing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, maybe. It, it's I, hard I, to I tell with get, Will. I, <laughs> it's true. Now you mentioned uh, something about well, you mentioned you referenced your 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 suicide attempt, and yeah. as a fan of yours, I've I've been aware and concerned about your health and well being over the past few years. You mentioned you're also in a in a wheelchair. Uh, you had a horrendous motorcycle accident. Uh, what was it? A year ago? Two years ago? Uh, it'll it'll be a, a year on March third. Oh man! Oh, a year. Yeah. It's only been a year. Okay. Yeah. Can you? Talk a little bit about what happened with that and, and how you're doing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, the motorcycle accident was was really brutal. Like, uh, just, um, it, you know, basically, and, and it wasn't my fault. Like, a, um, a woman ran a red light and turned left right into my leg, you know. And, um, uh, you know, and they were they were going to amputate or whatever, and I was, and I remember telling the doctors, I was like, can you just try everything first? And then if you need to amputate, do that. <laughs> you know, like, I was like, I'm up for whatever needs to be done. Um, and so, like, I was in the, I was hospitalized for, like, five weeks, I think. And then um, had a bunch of surgeries. And, yeah, I've been in a wheelchair ever since. Like, I'm hoping uh, I'll start physical therapy soon. And I know I will be walking again and stuff. Um, it's just... Uh, it's just a really long, you know, pretty grueling process. Um, yeah, I mean, as a, we were talking about your social media presence and seeing you post photos from the hospital and and just about your your rehabilitation and trying to get better. I mean, it's been uh, heartbreaking on some level, but I guess also heartening, you know, to see you still active and trying to do stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's been it's. It's hard to say that, like, having something like that happen and say that I feel lucky, but I really do feel lucky, you know? Like, a lot of people don't survive motorcycle accidents or they get spinal injuries or head injuries or something, and I mm -hmm. I kind of lucked out. Like, I just it just all was in this one area um, that can be repaired. And then, um, but I think the, you know, you go through, even with the best 
attitude, like the most positive attitude, um, at some point after 11 months in a wheelchair, you're going to be just like down and frustrated and just sick of it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I definitely hit that point. And, um, and the thing that I, for some reason, I started thinking about, um, you know, 12 step programs and not, I've never done one, but I know I've read the 12 steps and I know people that have, that have done it or are still doing it and it helps them. Um, but I, I remember that like a lot of the 12 step thing, like the reason it works is because it, it involves a lot of acceptance and surrender. And, um, and I think when I just was like, yeah, I just need to accept and surrender to the moment, you know, like, I, um, this is my situation, you know, like <laughs> feeling shitty about it. It's not going to help anything. Um, just, mm. you know, just accept it for what it is. It's not permanent, you know, it's going to change. But like right now, just try to savor it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, among the 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 themes, I, I guess, in those twelve step programs is often atonement as well. Did you relate to that? Atonement, like, well, you know, I I haven't done the twelve steps, um, so I don't I I I don't know. I mean, it, mm. I I know that's a huge part of it as well. Um, I recently got a check from an old friend I haven't heard from in decades um, for like a hundred something dollars. And he was, and he, he was like, you know, I'm sorry, you, you put me in charge of the band money and I was doing a lot of cocaine or something. And I just kept all the band money. I, I had no, you know, I didn't recall any of it, you know, like hmm. the, just, you know, I didn't even know he took the money, you know, like it was, it wasn't that much. And then um, he, uh, and so he wrote it, sent it back and I realized it was a 12 step thing that he was going through, you know? Right. He was, yeah. um, and it was, it was, a, it was great just to talk to him again. Um, yeah. But yeah, atonement is something I haven't done personally, I guess. Well, and I'm not suggesting you, yeah. you need to, I just, uh, I know that that's a major component of, of those, um, those steps really of, yeah, you mentioned yeah, acceptance and, and, and sort of addressing, your situation. So I just wondered, I mean, how are you doing? Uh, how are you doing emotionally, spiritually, you know, um, how are you feeling these days? Um, you know, I'm pretty, you know, the, the only, like, I'm pretty happy. The only thing I'm, uh, a little down about is the fact that I'm really isolated. Um, like I, I've kind of stopped going out after trying to, and I've stopped sort of like having people over or whatever. Um, and, and, uh, so I, I think in, and that's not really good for me to do that. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I see my, my kids a lot and to me, like that's, uh, been the most enjoyable and like important thing is like just making sure that I can have time with them. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, as I mentioned, I, I have a couple of kids, they've changed my life and, and, and the way I approach life, I think really. And, yeah. Ob- obvious and intangible ways as a as a father has that experience i mean it sounds like it has impacted you on a on a real life level has it impacted you other ways artistically even oh yeah yeah i feel like um like what's important is more clear now you know like all the stuff i used to get hung up on is just so unimportant you know um mm-hmm. i think and you, and i think you c- can only be a parent to understand like a, you have to like you're in charge of something totally helpless. Like that responsibility is huge, you know? Um, 
Uh, and wait, your kids are three years apart. Is that right? Three and a half years apart. Yeah. 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 My kids are three years apart. That's like a, that's a great gap, I think. So. Yeah, it's good. Somehow it worked out. I was a little worried it was too much or something. So, and some days it feels like too much just because the five-year-old wants to jump off the couch and now the two-year-old wants to jump off the couch and the two-year-old yeah. physically equipped to jump off the couch the same way, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's going to be like that. <laughs> I mean, like my my kids are doing, like my seven-year-old's always trying to keep up with my 10-year-old, you know, like, uh, yeah. and he kind of worships her. But at the same time, he's, you know, they, they have like, they get jealous of each other or they butt heads. Like, like, um, but it's really interesting. Like, and yeah, it's probably affected me in, in even deeper ways that I'm not even sure of yet. But it, it brought out like a nurturing quality in me that I've never, I don't think I've ever had that, that extreme at least. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that hopefully it, it does to, to you. Uh, and if it has, then we're probably doing something right. <laughs> yeah. You know, just incre- increasing your empathy and, uh, and trying to, you know, I have temper issues, I think that I didn't know about or yeah. didn't acknowledge until my kids came around. And then I catch myself being like, why am I angry at? Like, that's not a thing to even be angry at, you know? Yeah. Um, so no. sorry, that makes me sound like I'm not a monster. No, I'm no, not a monster. no, I know but you're right. Like every, the, kids are going to push your, push you to the limit, you know, and over the limit, you know, and, uh, you really, it really is like, um, uh, eye opening, you know, for like about yourself and like qualities that you can work on. And at the same time, like, you know, you're teaching your children, but this, I I feel like at the same time they're teaching us as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my relationship to time has also changed because of them. Just like, the amount of time that goes by quickly and also the amount of time I have to work on things. Oh uh, yeah. becomes yeah. more, all of that becomes more precious. And yeah. so time, that's a huge one for me. I don't know if that's impacted you. Oh, it totally did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Time is, you know, like time is such a weird thing for, for kids. Like every a year is a huge, is this epic <laughs> journey. <laughs> but when you're, you know, <clears throat> I'm 48 and it's like, and you know, when I'm turned 49, it's not going to be an epic journey. It's just another year's past, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, um, yeah. but the, uh, it, yeah, it, it does seem like, uh, time to yourself, especially when like your kids are, are still like, you know, really young, like the, um, yeah. it's, it, you know, like time for yourself or just to do your thing is like, yeah, you're right. It's way more precious. Like you have to schedule it in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and 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 keep yourself awake. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what yeah. I find. Yeah, it's it it it's great, but it's it's a thing. And uh, I mean, I'm glad that they're uh, they're helping you appreciate things in life as well. I mean, that's what I've gathered from from this conversation and yeah. from other conversations I've seen you engage in. I mean, they your kids have really helped you. I think uh, appreciate life on some level. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I see so much of myself in them and, uh, and at the same time, like I feel, um, really proud at how individual they are. You know, it's, it's really, uh, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really nice to not think about yourself, you know, like, um, just to have, uh, like, I think before I had kids, I was, 
you know, I was just self-obsessed. I didn't even know there was a, a void until my kids came along, you know? I was like, wow, yeah. all that time I was just like, I was, I guess I was just bored and just like um, doing stuff just to amuse me. Um, <laughs> and, and like, uh, but now it's like, I have to put myself in the back seat and like take, you know, you know, like take responsibility for their lives. And um, it, was, it was just really nice to like, um, it, it, I think it's a great thing just to like, yeah, like have empathy and just like do selfless things for, for another entity, you know? like Yeah, no. And, and again, it's helpful. And it, I, as, as you see your, yourself in your kids, I think you see your, I see my faults. I also, I mean, I yeah. see things that I'm proud of, but I also, I think part of the reason I'm upset is because I'm kind of upset with myself and how myself has manifested itself in these two little people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I'm not normally, I don't think of myself as filled with self-loathing, but there are times where my kids, I'm like, Oh, I'm angry at you because you're basically acting like me. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's so exactly I need to improve my, I don't like it. Myself. Yeah. I need to, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I need to make some improvements. And it's a, it's like having, like you say, they teach you about yourself and they teach you uh, about life as well. So yeah, well, I'm glad, as I say, I'm just happy. And I, I hope, uh, I hope it changes. I hope you do feel more social soon, because it sounds like that's something you're conscious of not being at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it is a good time to, um, you know, you know, just to lay low and just heal. And then, um, you know, I, I know I'll be like more social or whatever when, uh, you know, when I'm more mobile. Um, yeah. Uh, it's also just tedious trying to go out. <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, until you have, we all probably take our so much for granted when, when if we are able to uh, be mobile and um, and not be uh, not have uh, any. Uh, disadvantages you know that preclude us from doing things and i mean that's i can't even imagine what you're going through on that level you know just having abilities taken away from you even even if it's temporarily i mean that just must be difficult but i it sounds like you're you're doing 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 pretty well with it oh yeah i mean in a lot of ways it's it's given me license to procrastinate and be lazy and you know like totally uh (laughs) just selfish and do whatever I want, wake up whenever I want, you know, in a lot of ways it's, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in, I'm enjoying it while it's happening, believe it or not. (laughs) (laughs) There's some fringe benefits that you might not have expected. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can, I can wake up at three in the mornings and start recording if I feel like it, you know, nobody's, uh, um, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's been, it, it has been good and I, and I'm, I'm making good use of this time. I think, you know, I made a record and I'm, I'm actually working yeah. on another record. So, and I'm still playing oh, music with other people like, um, Karen O's coming over Tuesday. I think we're going to work on something together. Um, uh, so it's not like I'm totally isolated. Like I, I do, um, I, I do still do stuff with people. It's just, uh, well, good. It's more low key now. Yeah, I was. I mean, I was going to ask what's next for you. It sounds like you're already working on. An, you mentioned Karen might be coming over, and you're working on another yeah. record of your own. I'm not sure what it's for. It's just like like an idea that she has. Um, 
and we were just going to mess around with it. But then, uh, but yeah, the stuff that I'm recording now, I don't know what, it's like the same situation. I don't know what it's going to be or, or, or what, like I, I just, Hmm. you know, if I have a song idea, I kind of just try to follow it through and see where it ends up. And I've collected a couple songs, but, um, I don't, I don't know what's going to come of it or if they're any good, you know, the songs. Right. right. Yeah. You're a guy who, you, you tend to write a, a large batch of songs and then figure out what makes sense after. Is that right? Yeah. 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 That's right. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to have a set agenda too much. I, I like to have a little bit of a, a starting point just to feel excited about it. Like, um, sort of a, a concept. Um, but then, uh, but I want it to be so open-ended that I can like veer away from the concept if I want to. Like, right. Yeah. You don't want to be constrained by yourself. Who yeah. would want that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> constrained by your own ideas. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's good. It's good to know that about yourself though, isn't it? Like it must be nice to know that you can contradict yourself on some level. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I mean, I'll do that, but I'll, I'll set up, I'll make specific rules. Like, um, I think for the last record, it was, uh, that I wanted to only p- record the guitar parts with seven, with a seven string guitar and an eight string guitar, like both of them hmm. together, like in, in different tunings and just see what happened. Um, but that would be the instrumentation for like the whole record. And, and I ended up doing it for most of it, but there's, you know, I think there's a song, maybe two songs that aren't in that tuning or don't use those instruments. And so it's just like, uh, I, I set these rules or parameters because, um, because I do want to eventually break them. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's good. You're rebelling against yourself. That's, <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, uh, I was hoping we could uh, wrap this up by actually uh, going to a song, uh, playing a song on the show here from Highway Songs. And, and David, I wondered if you might choose that uh, song so that... Uh, I don't know why. Just oh, it's man. Fun. Why not? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I... You know, I, I'm not really sure what to, what to choose. Um, like if someone's never heard, uh, my music, but then has, has listened to the, like this far along, I'm not sure what would be good. Um, maybe that song bloom, I was thinking little girl, but I, I, I did like some Eddie Van Halen style soloing all over that song <laughs> and I might, <laughs> might, I thought it was funny and it was fun. And then, uh, but I don't know if I ruined it or not. But, um, Little girl is a is a traditional song that you've adapted for the record, right? Like you you that's adapted right. it based on the lyrics, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think all I had took from the song was the lyrics and everything else. Like I just was winging it. Right, and then bloom. But you want to go with bloom? I I mean I guess so. It's really your call. Um, bloom is. Uh, was was like just a really fun, positive one to do. And it's kind of one of the heavier songs. And yeah, I don't know. I think that one might be appropriate. Yeah, yeah. sure. Let's just, let's do it. I mean, it's a hard, if people are hoping for uh, any one song to reflect or be exemplary of the entire record, I think that's impossible. It's a very yeah. uh, dynamic <laughs> record, right? So yeah. I understand why you might be hesitating, but I think Bloom is a good place to leave so let's let's play this is bloom 
by Papa M from Highway Songs. And uh, David, this was an honor and a thrill, and I hope a pleasure for you. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you for being here. Oh, I did too. Best of luck with everything. Yeah, thank you so much. music there by Papa M. That was Bloom from his new record, Highway Songs, which is out now on Drag City Records. Learn more about it at dragcity.com. And thanks again to David Pajo for being so generous and giving uh, with his time. It, uh, it was a thrill, a real thrill to get to speak with him and, and to find out uh, what, a, what an earnest and thoughtful man he is. I, I didn't know what it would be like, and I was thrilled. As I say, I was thrilled. So thank you, David. Thanks for being on the show. And this, by the way, is the 303rd episode of Creative Control. It's available on iTunes, where I urge you to go to subscribe to the show, download the show, rate the show, review the show. All of those things help get the word out about the show. So go to iTunes. It's also available on audioboom.com. We have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash creative control. 
where you can make a flexible monthly donation to keep the podcast going. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter, at Vish Creative. And a version of the show airs every Wednesday at noon Eastern Standard Time at uh, CFRU.ca around the world, or if you're in the area, at CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph. For more information about everything I just said, visit my website, vishkana.com. Of course, this episode would not be possible without our sponsors, the finest pizzeria in Guelph, Ontario, Pizza Trocadero, whom you can call for pickup or delivery at 519-829-2444, or check them out at trocaderoguelph.ca. Also, The Bookshelf, which is an independently owned bookstore, bar, music venue, movie theater, and more. They do lots of stuff. They're located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. Learn more about them at bookshelf.ca. And for the finest coffee anywhere, try Planet Bean, freshly roasted, fair trade, certified organic coffee. They have three cafes in Guelph and also distribute their coffee beans throughout Ontario And I think even beyond. For more information about how you can get your hands on Planet Bean Coffee, go to planetbeancoffee.com. That's it for this episode. More to come. More episodes. More stuff. I will talk to you very soon. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.